I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. They don't just call him Ray Ray. He actually is Ray Ray. Ray Ray McLeod of the Steelers didn't just come up with some cutesy nickname for himself or even have that bestowed upon him at some later point in life. His grandfather's name was Ray. His father's name was Ray. So he became Ray Ray. And if this isn't a great way to start your day day, I can't imagine what is. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. It doesn't get any better than that. Although it might. It might for our man Ray Ray. I'm here to say that upon... Further viewings, slower viewings of the Steelers' 38-29 victory over the Eagles a couple days ago. I came away singularly impressed with how this offense has matured in such a short period of time without OTAs, full training camp, any preseason games or anything like that. And in large part because of the addition of Matt Canada, the infusion of motion, of deception into the backfield, but also the weaponry involved. When you see the reverse that's run by McLeod for 58 yards, It's easy to admire and right to admire the big block thrown by Vance McDonald off to the right. But there's a lot else that happens there. The initial pitch or fake goes to James Conner going to the left side. And when you watch the film, the entirety of the Philadelphia NFL franchise bites. Almost everyone swings across to the right. Maybe it's because they don't expect the Steelers to try to get that clever. Maybe it's that the execution, the fake handoff itself, the sleight of hand by Ben Roethlisberger was that good. Maybe James did a great job of selling it, whatever. Once Ray Ray gets it, and he moves around to the right side, and it's just him and 89 over there, and Vance throws the big block, he's God on. Yeah, I know they caught him. But you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he he finds a hole. He sees the hole and he hits it like it matters. We've all seen that at various levels of football, not just in the NFL. You see that runner whether it's a, you know, Friday night high school game 
who once he gets that daylight, he doesn't just say, oh, there's the hole that I'm supposed to hit, and now I'm going to get my requisite three or four yards. He wants more. That's how McLeod runs. That's how he runs back kicks and punts. That's how he's run his sweeps. And that's how he's run from the line of scrimmage. I've seen this since the early portions of training camp when he was brought in after being cut three times in the past year, twice by the Bills, once by the Panthers, after being a sixth-round pick. And I saw that the Steelers immediately just not only opened their eyes, but opened their arms to him. They didn't let him get defined by what had come before. They didn't let him get defined by where he was taken in the draft. And as a result, you'd have to think they didn't let him get defined by what they thought of him themselves since they didn't draft him in his draft year a couple years ago. So he's not the biggest dude, but he can move, he can accelerate, and he really wants to go. It's a neat story. It's an unpredictable story. Here's, take it from Ray Ray's own words to us yesterday. It was at a point where it was kind of, I wasn't getting wary, but it was like, dang, like I'm really sitting at home knowing I could, I can compete with uh, players in the NFL and I'm not being on a team. It was difficult for me, uh, but I just honed in the moment and train, 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 train. And uh, when my opportunity came, I was going to take advantage of it. And uh, actually, the day uh, the Steelers called me, I was going to church. I was at church in the middle of it, and a phone number kept calling me. And uh, it was kind of at the point where it was like, you just have one of them days, like, you're real quiet to yourself and don't want to talk about it. And it was just that day, God was talking to me at church. And then as soon as I left, I had to get on the plane. That's great. You see what I'm talking about? Like, unpredictable. Nobody saw it coming except him. He's embracing being the underdog. He's embracing being out there more often. And he will be out there more often. Ben is not the type to blurt out something without having some kind of angle or motive behind it. So after the game Sunday, one of the most striking statements that he made to us was that Ray Ray McLeod will become a bigger, and that's the word he used, part of this offense in the weeks to come. He's just going to get more and more assimilated. Against the Eagles, he had five touches. Three of them were catches for a total of 12 yards. One of them was an eight-yarder. Two of them were runs. One, of course, was the 58-yarder. The other one was for four. That's just enough to keep teams, opposing teams' defenses unsettled. Between that and keeping Anthony McFarland involved as he was, again, not much, not much on Sunday, but but enough. Benny Snell was also involved. Uh, Conspicuously came out late, was utilized late to pound for that last vital first down, theoretically going after a Philadelphia defense that was going to be a little bit worn down and not in the mood 
to take down a fresh bulldozing running back like Snell. As long as he hangs on to the ball, that's a that's a great move, by the way. But there's a lot of this that's coming into play right now. Take this back to 2019 and just try, if you can, to forget that it was Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges at quarterback, okay? And ask yourself, what was the one thing that drove you the most loco about that offense and that would get you the most angry at Randy Feetner? Because the Steelers were, maddeningly enough, in position to win a lot of those games that they lost because of the way the defense played. It was the predictability. It's that when they lined up, you knew, I knew, everyone in the entire stadium knew, and you'd better believe the 11 angry men on the other side of the ball knew what they were going to do every single time. And, well, because we're the big, tough Steelers, we're just going to be all macho about it and just show you what we're going to do. The way we saw Zach Granke from the Astros putting up two fingers to let the batter know that he was going to throw a curveball. He throws the curveball, guy hits it out of the ballpark. That's another story. The Steelers were being all like, oh, look at us. You can't stop us. We're just going to run what we run because two years ago we were unstoppable. That was the approach that was taken. And it wasn't working. It didn't work. It wasn't going to work with Mason or Duck, and it's not going to work with Ben either. They needed to get more creative. I must have used the terms creative, imaginative, into oblivion last season in criticizing Randy Feetner. I'm not 100% sure what got into Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert to bring Matt Canada on. My guess is that it's Tomlin's connection to the Maryland program since his son Dino goes there. Canada, of course, was coaching down there. Maybe it had something to do with Matt Canada taking Pitt's offense to some crazy highs four years ago when they really didn't have the personnel to be doing that sort of thing. Why? Because it was just so inventive. It was unpredictable. No one ever knew what they were going to do. There was all kinds of motion. There were all kinds of brains behind it. Think of the Princeton basketball offense. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's just moving around. You don't know who to defend. You don't know where to go. You don't know when to go there. The Steelers are starting to make plays out of their backfield that we have never seen under Roethlisberger at quarterback. How about the four wides bunched up on the left side? You know which one I'm talking about, the the little four-yard touchdown to Chase Claypool. There's four wides. All four wideouts on the field were not exactly social distancing over there to the left edge near the sideline. And over to the right was Eric Ebron. And Ben says himself, we ran, this pra- we ran this play in practice every day over the course of the week in-, in preparing for it. And each time he threw to Ebron because the goal was one way or another to get Ebron in one-on-one coverage. And if you move everybody to the other side of the field, there's no way someone's going to double Ebron. So you're basically just leaving it up to Ebron to 
win his one-on-one matchup, which he really should with his size, his agility, and his athletic ability. Funny thing was, Ben lines up and he sees right off the bat that the defense is cheating across. He sees that there's a move in that direction toward Ebron where maybe he's going to get doubled and maybe there won't be a play there. So Ben being Ben and a way smarter quarterback than what he's been given credit for over the years says, all right, Eagles, we'll do this instead. Looks over to Chase, steps back, fires across, and Claypool being who and what he is, certainly what he was on Sunday, wasn't about to be stopped from going into the end zone. The Eagles all got a little clumsy over there. They they overran him a little bit, but he goes in. It was a neat play. Ben said he'd never run a play like that before in his life. Claypool said he'd not been part of such a play before in his life. That's fun, man. That's when football gets fun. When you start doing stuff to um, really make the other guys think, uh, it makes preparing to win that game hard, but it also helps you for the following game. Remember when we used to fret about the Steelers showing too many clever plays because you can't use that one. you got to keep it in the hip pocket. Remember Mike Tomlin's hip pocket line? got to keep it in the hip pocket. Ben said himself that Randy threw the kitchen sink, that was his term, against the Eagles because of the tough, tough front seven that Philadelphia has. They felt like they had to try a lot of different things. And if they put it on film, and if the Browns watch it, the Ravens watch it, the Bengals, who cares? If anything, you would think that would unsettle them further. Because now they don't know what always to expect when they face the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is fun. Ray Ray is fun. Ben using all these different weapons is a blast because he looks like he's having fun at age 38 with this many options at his disposal. I didn't think that we'd get to week four talking about the offense being better than the defense, to put it mildly. But we might be getting there. We might be getting there. This portion of Daily Shot has been brought to you by the original Oyster House downtown in Market Square. We went there yesterday as a family It was their 150th anniversary. I'm going to repeat that number again for dramatic effect. 150. It is the oldest restaurant in the city. When you go through there, you are reminded that every sitting president, even most of this recent UK prime ministers, Canadian prime ministers, other foreign dignitaries have always made their way down to the Oyster House that's not why to go. You go for the breaded oysters and you definitely go for the fries. You go because it's in Market Square, which is an amazingly cool place to be. When we come back, a little bit of hockey. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The signings around the NHL are, are starting to dry up, even though free agency is still going. Taylor Hall to the Sabres. Kevin Shattenkirk to the Ducks. Teams that have cap room are going to be the ones that end up with the players who are the most interested in money, as opposed to going somewhere to win a Stanley Cup. Hence, Shattenkirk wins a cup, goes to Anaheim which have absolutely no chance for the foreseeable future. The Penguins aren't going to be involved in this. I have a feeling that Jim Rutherford is, he's not completely done, but he's probably not far from being done, which brings us to the time of year where you start wondering whether or not the Penguins have gotten better or whether the teams around them have gotten better or continue to get better. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. LGKG represents people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who have filed medical malpractice claims. If that's you, go to LGKG. They pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them, as they've told me, that when they make you a promise as their client, they'll keep that promise. They've been keeping promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City, and you can learn more online at lgkg.com or by giving them a call at 888-842-842. Five four five four. Principally, when I try to dissect whether or not the Penguins have gotten better, I'm going to look at one area, and if that makes me superficial or shallow, so be it. It's the top six. It's the forwards. It's going to be whether or not they have found a way to surround their two superstar centers with sufficient talent to be consistent threats five-on-five to rock enough possession that they don't have to spend a lot of time in their own end, which is when the Penguins have always been at their best historically. And whether or not they can work from that group to reinvigorate, maybe even redesign the power play. Now is when you do that, right? You bring in Todd Reardon. Todd Reardon came in in part because Mark Recchi wasn't getting the job done in general as an assistant coach, but he came on in large part as well for his power play acumen. He's been a guy that's worked with lots of different power plays, including the one in Pittsburgh, and has a lot of ideas. So is this top six overall better than what the Penguins had 
The answer to that, not that I'm going to punt on my own question, but the answer to that ultimately is going to come down to what kind of maturation the Penguins can coax from Kasperi Kapanen. I got to know him a little bit in his time here when he was a draft pick and a rookie, and he's bright. He's the, the son of an NHL player, Sammy Kapanen, really good player for a lot of years with Carolina later on with the Flyers. He's got the awareness. He's got the he, – he had the mentality when he was drafted uh, and, the, and the poise that he looked like he could just step into the NHL right away. And, of course, he always had that ridiculous release. But he also seemed like he'd, he'd had it all together. This is a little bit of a different challenge. Uh, this is going to be him stepping out of what had been a, a, a deep, long depth chart in Toronto at his position, right wing, where they had Mitch Marner and William Nylander making a zillion dollars each ahead of him. In Pittsburgh, he's, he's going right to the top. I mean, we'll see how everything goes with camp and what Mike Sullivan decides and how things work with Sidney Crosby, but it, it's looking like it'll be Kapanen up there with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. Will it work? Who knows? You know, will who will back check out of that group? Who knows? You know, is Sid going to try to find a different way to um, age his game, if you will, and maybe since he's a superior defensive player, he could be the one that's coming up late? I don't know. I do know this. According to Jim Rutherford, Kapanen will be the fastest player on the Penguins the day he hits the ice, the first day he's out on the ice in Cranberry. Faster even than Brian Rust. So the Penguins are going to have not one, but two guys who can absolutely fly up the right side, which is going to be a challenge for any team that comes into Pittsburgh and, and isn't strong on the left side of defense. They're going to be backing off an awful lot. So maybe you do want Sid coming in more as the late guy. Gino does that anyway. Kapanen has to fit with those two guys. There has to be a defensive conscience with that group. If Kapanen does, to repeat, he has that release. He has the ability to score a lot of goals. He was almost never on Toronto's power play. Almost all of his goals have been five-on-five, five, have been at even strength over the years. That's tough on a young kid. You do need to get your power play goals if you're a scorer. You need to get that feel of scoring to continue scoring some more. We saw last year especially how Brian Rust benefited from that. He was never on the power play until last year. But he had that feel. He was in there. He was scoring. He was raising his arms. He gained confidence. He tried different things. You saw him try different things creatively, not just with shooting because he gained that confidence. And I haven't mentioned Jason Zucker, who will be the winger. Again, this is theoretical. 
next to Malkin and Rust. I've not seen a player come from outside the Penguins and immediately assimilate to the Mike Sullivan system and style of play the way Zucker did. I've told him that myself. I'm sharing that with you. I think that's going to serve him extremely well. I think that every time we, the figurative we, have doubted him and his ability to be a top six guy or why wasn't he that in Minnesota or anything like that, he's proven us wrong big time, and I think he's going to continue doing that. I think even in this past playoff that the Penguins had against Montreal, although it was just four games, there were a lot of good signs between him and Malkin. There were signs of chemistry there. That was very, very encouraging. Is this top six better than the top six they had? Yes, on paper. But it's going to come down to capital. When we come back, some baseball. It is October 13th, and those of you who know your baseball history around here know that October 13, 1960 brought very arguably the greatest single sporting event that our city has ever seen, maybe will ever see, with the Pirates beating the Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series on Bill Mazeroski's home run in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, there's nothing more that I can ever add to that particular event. There's not one of those that you can sit there and go, man, but what's a good adjective for that? You know, like it, it just is what it is. It's the greatest home run in baseball history. Uh, anytime anybody has ever come back at me with Bobby Thompson's shot, heard round the world I counter with that's only because it was in New York it wasn't even in a World Series it was for the National League pennant yes there was some additional drama there because it was also an elimination because they didn't used to have playoffs to determine league champions but still it's game seven of the World Series there's only one other walk-off home run to end a World Series, and that was Joe Carter's in Toronto in 1992. But that was in Game 6. So you got nothing. You got no home run that's bigger or better than Maz's. And any list that doesn't have Maz at the top is is either A, completely invalid, or B, done by a New Yorker, comma, in which case it's completely invalid. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Their mission right now is Grow, Share, Thrive. That's also the name of the website. GrowShareThrive.org is the ongoing drive to help build up the food bank as an institution, as a facility, as an operation that can get food out to people where they are to expand, to reach out, in normal times, one in seven people in our region don't know where their next meal is coming from. Think about that. That's crazy. 
That includes children. And in a pandemic, they're still computing those numbers, but I can guarantee you they're not prettier. One dollar is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. Every year since 2007, on this date, a group of devoted, mostly older, not entirely, Pittsburgh baseball fans have congregated at the remaining wall. There's not much of it, but there's there's some of Forbes Field in Oakland. And what they'll do is at the exact time that the game started, they'll begin playing the radio broadcast on a big old, like, boom box, okay? <laughs> I mean, exactly what you'd expect this to look like is what it looks like. And it's all timed so that Maz's home run is hit as it was that day, captured forever and ever on that giant Longines clock that was atop the Forbes Field scoreboard in those same images at 3.36 p.m. That's when the ball sailed over Yogi Berra's head and into the Oakland wilderness. I was nowhere near a real thing at that time. wasn't even born. But I would imagine that a lot of people are like me and that they've gone back and, and revisited and tried to imagine what that had been like, maybe even taking the extra step to go through the rest of that ridiculous series where the Yankees would blow out the Pirates, like crush them, like like maggots. And then the Pirates would win a squeaker. And then the Yankees would crush them again, and it was, just, you know, with all these guys and Mickey Mantle and everything else. And then the Pirates would win a squeaker, and Elroy Face would come on and get like a four-inning save before there were even saves. This was uh, an amazing series that took so many twists and turns, even into Game 7 when Hal Smith hit what should have been the greatest home run in Pirates history with a three-run shot in the bottom of the eighth to take the lead. But then the Yankees ruined that by coming back and tying it in the top of the ninth, setting it up for Maz to end up getting all the statues and the accolades and everything else. And Maz himself will tell you, without anything resembling false humility, that it should have been Hal Smith. Hal's home run was the one. That was the biggest. That was the greatest, whatever. And no one in Pittsburgh could even name Hal Smith, much less have pictures taken by his statue. He passed, by the way, about a year ago at his home in Texas. This group of people gets together every year by the wall. This year they won't, though. It's the 60th anniversary, and because most of them are older and because there are, there are rules is too strong a term, but recommendations from the state, city, and the county against larger gatherings, they weren't going to be able to pull this off in Oakland with the pandemic because they can't manage the crowd size because anybody could come. I've been there. Uh, players from the 1960 team have randomly shown up. Maz was there just a few years ago. Just showed up. 
So the pirates stepped in, the current pirates, and offered this group, PNC Park, to come down and enjoy the celebration in a safe, socially distanced, clean way. They're giving them the entire outfield. Uh, there's 30 or 40 members of this group that's called the Game 7 Gang, by the way, which is really cool. And they're going to spread out. Travis Williams, the CEO, is going to be there. Uh, some other pirate staffers to make sure everybody's taken care of. And the broadcast can play. Maybe it won't be a boombox. Maybe they'll put it up on the scoreboard. I don't know. I don't have all the details on that or whatever. And I, and I can't go because they're obviously limiting the numbers to make sure that everything's cool there. But it's a great gesture by the current team. It's a far, far, far greater gesture on the part of those fans trying to keep alive a part of their history and in some of their cases a part of their childhood that no one can ever take away from them. Imagine, just imagine having been a Pirates fan for that one day. Try to imagine what that would have been like. Breathtaking stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this. We'll talk again tomorrow. Your front door. Your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.